0: thanks so much for joining us. I don't
1: have a problem.
0: So as a respiratory therapist, share with us your expertise. What is it like to care for patients that are awake on the ventilator?
1: Well, if they are awake and they are not delirious, it's actually not too bad to work with them. For the, I mean, for the most part here at our, the hospital we work at here, we most of the time do not sedate them other than maybe for the procedure of doing the intubation, and then, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, and they wake up, and...
0: What is it they, like when they wake up at first?
1: Uh, they'll, they'll definitely be uncomfortable, as you would imagine, having a tube down your throat. Um, but, you know, it, they might have some coughing spells, and a little bit of gagging for a few minutes, trying to get used to it, uh, especially if they're on uh, assist control, uncomfortable at first and blowing CPAP pressures that they're trying to breathe against. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it takes them a minute to get used to it, but if they aren't totally drugged out of their minds, then they can usually kind of use their brain to adjust themselves and they actually get comfortable fairly quickly. I would say within 15 minutes or so they're usually saying, okay,
0: are they trying to? Are, so, there, are they trying to pull the tube out after that? Uh,
1: you know, most of the time, I, we don't see them trying to reach for it. There's the occasional patient that you have to keep their hands tied down. But usually, we keep their hands tied down for the first little while. Then they kind of come to terms with their situation, and if their behavior is well enough, we actually many a time untie their hands and let them be. And Rarely have we ever had a problem with that. I can recall of once, and she was kind of terminal, and I think she was just done with it in general. intentionally. Intentionally, yes. Yeah. She was done.
0: But most people are able to scratch their noses, um, suck it in their mouths.
1: Yeah, so they take part in their own care. I uh, just hand them the Yonkar, and they can clean out their mouths as they wish and not have to drool on themselves. Isn't
0: that great? <laughs> That's what I would want. I wouldn't want to lay there feeling drool running down my face and not be able to do anything about it. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a part of keeping them dignified and having control of their situation. That's a really good point. Um, And so you say, even on assist control, after 15 minutes or so, they're they're able to cope with it. So how much ventilator desynchrony is there when someone's not sedated like that?
1: Uh, When they're not sedated, um, I guess it depends on the case. like if they if their lungs are really bad and you like need to have a really high rate to keep their pH balanced or something like that, then they might have a hard time with having a high respiratory rate, but chances are they're gonna be breathing that fast on their own anyways because their body's telling them to mm-hmm. So even sometimes at the high rate, that's what their body's telling them to do. so uh, we really don't see too much dysynchrony. To be honest,
0: yeah, that's a great point. I think that's a really common concern, um, or an, uh, an understanding that sedation is to avoid ventilator synchrony. Um, but when have you seen ventilator synchrony?
1: Um, honestly, I, I'm having a hard time thinking <laughs> of somebody. Isn't that great? It's.
0: What about when they're coming off of sedation? Like if when we get patients from other yeah, places, that
1: that's about it. Is that first fifteen minutes when they're just kind of coming to terms with their situation, mm-hmm. and trying to get used to it, and it just takes a few minutes.
0: Or they've been sedated for days, and then it takes longer to
1: yeah and then, to clear out. And then they got those meds and on board that kind of make your brain a little foggy, and they don't know what's going on. It takes mm-hmm. them a little longer to. Clear I think from what off.
0: I've seen in my experience is uh, when when we do sedation vacations or we start weaning off sedation, and suddenly. We've got really anxious patients because they're delirious, because they're, mm-hmm. like you said, they don't know what's going on. Um, then we see the ventilator to synchrony, and there's the assumption that it'll always be like that. But you suggest otherwise.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so when they're calm, cool, they're not fighting the ventilator, and we're able to get them up and walk them, what is it like from your perspective to walk a patient on the ventilator, and what's your role in that?
1: Um, I was kind of... When I, the first time I came to this hospital and they said, we're going to get up and go walk and I was like, but they're on a ventilator, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You have the wrong room or what? (laughs) And so I was like, no, that's what we do. And I was like, okay. So how do you guys do this?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I was like, we just plugged in some tanks and hook them up to the vent and away we go. Blew my mind the first time. I was like, okay. So, and we've seen almost every vent patient that's capable of walking eventually will get up and walk.
0: How soon after they're um, intubated?
1: Um, within a few hours. I mean, even just today, uh, we had a patient that was intubated early this morning, came into the ER. Morning rounds come up and doctor writes in "In order for physical therapy to come and evaluate and we're walking at 10 a.m.
0: Just hop to it. Yeah.
1: Or if the patient is really just being intubated for like airway protection or something and they wake up and it's, you know, we've walked people within two, three hours even.
0: What about when they're um, needing more ventilator support or on higher ventilator settings?
1: Sometimes that kind of feels a little iffy to me honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I don't always agree with it, but I'm not the doctor, so I do what I'm told. So we go up and we do it. And sure enough, they do just fine.
0: So sometimes, it, you know, you see those ventilator settings and you, like, you it's sure? hard to imagine them being able sure? to walk. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I mean, even with peeps of 16 to 20, I was like, what are we doing
0: here? Are you trying to kill someone? <laughs> um have you ever seen anything bad happen? Any barrel trauma? No. Nope.
1: Never ever once. heard of it. Nope. Never heard of it.
0: And how do you how do you support them doing during that? So let's say someone has a PEEP of 16 on 80%. How do you get them ready to walk?
1: Uh, well, since we only have one ventilator with a compressor, everybody pretty much walks on hundred percent.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's great though.
1: Um, which yeah, gets them nice and oxygenated, so it's harder for them to get short of breath. It gives them all they can get for oxygen. Um, depending on their settings, if they're like already on CPAP, then I'll add you know, pressure support of 5, 10, 15, whatever they need. If they look like they're starting to increase their work of breathing, we can increase support just kind of on the fly as we're going. and try to make it so that they can use the rest of their body and not just get wiped out super quickly Right from respiratory standpoint.
0: If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? It can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices, barriers, and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation, training, and bedside support. Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more. Um, and what do you do beforehand before you walk them?
1: Uh, I mean, first thing you get in the room, basically just turn them up to 100% and get them hyper-oxygenated while we you know, grab monitors and put the vent on the tanks and get everything ready, stand them up, get briefs on, do whatever we need to do. It gives them a few minutes to get all hyper-oxygenated and then they're away we go.
0: And what about after?
1: Uh, my afterwards? generally try to put them back to their original FiO2 immediately. Um, And most of the time they do okay with that. Uh, A few exceptions when they have like some high settings, they might need a few more minutes. Uh, But generally they can come back to their previous settings pretty quickly. Um, At most, I mean, I'd maybe get an hour tops and then Going back to their original settings, so it just depends on the patient. Sometimes they're okay immediately, sometimes it takes yeah. them a little bit of time to come back.
0: And you customize it for their needs. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about um, secretion mobility?
1: <clears throat> I mean, any time you get the body moving in different directions, it's, gravity's gonna pull sputum and phlegm from corners of the lungs and get it moving so I mean whether they're up and walking which helps I'm sure um, even just rolling them side to side doing bed care would get that moving as well but you definitely see some while they're
0: walking as well. Do you find yourself suctioning a lot more out after a walk?
1: Yeah suction before we go walking since you don't have the ability Mm -hmm. to do all are walking but then when you get back, a lot of times you end up doing it again and getting more out. So.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it definitely
1: helps with some secretion mobilization.
0: Um, how do patients tolerate it? The walking?
1: It's kind of funny. I feel like a lot of it is attitude, maybe. Like patients just have a really hard time wanting to get up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can sick. understand, you see all these lines in you and tubes and machines, and you're like, and what, why do I have to do this? I can't yeah. just lay in bed and get better. And so a lot of times our fantastically positive physical therapists will pep talk the, pep talk them for a few minutes. And uh, basically we don't take no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll just keep pep talking them until they finally say, fine, we'll get up and walk. And they do it.
0: And are okay. they coughing and gagging the whole time? Or are they...
1: Yeah, some of them. Mm-hmm. So it's, sometimes it looks like it is not fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so you just carry a rag and catch their spit. and.
0: But they do okay, and they take breaks when they need to.
1: Yeah, they always have a wheelchair behind them, so if they need to take a break and sit down, or if it's getting to be too much, if they get dizzy, whatever, treat as much symptoms as you can on the fly.
0: Do you feel like it's safe to walk them on the ventilator?
1: Yeah, I don't see, I mean, in and of itself, just walking them just because they're on a ventilator is fine. Um, like I say, sometimes those high settings feel a little iffy, or if they're mm-hmm. hemodynamically unstable, it feels a little iffy. Like, uh, just yesterday, we have someone in, that has a fib, and so when he stands up, it triggers it, and his heart rate shoots from 80 to 180. Mm-hmm. And we had a physician come in and look at it, we printed it out, did an EKG while he was doing it, and determined, yeah, it's with a high rate, but it's not going to cause him to have a heart attack, so let's keep going on with the mobility.
0: He stayed stable, he was, I was like, not Ooh. symptomatic, he yeah. was able to, yeah, continue he to He does oscillate. get a little
1: symptomatic, and so we, when he gets dizzy or something, we let him sit down and recover, and just, when he sits down, his heart rate does come down quickly, mm-hmm. so...
0: And everyone's followed with a wheelchair and there's always, you know, that option to rest if it's needed. We're not just following everyone with a whip, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we do have some patients that are listening to music and they're kind of shaking and dancing, you know, while they're walking. And then we have some people that can walk five feet at a time and need a break. And so every patient, every case is different. Um, I never mean to make it sound like you know, people are just skipping through the halls with their ventilators, though some are pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think they do appreciate being able to take showers. So tell us your secret. That's what a lot of people want to know. How do you get a patient on a ventilator into the shower?
1: If we have time, we kind of need yeah. a low patient census, because then i got to stand there for 30 minutes, and, yeah. or however long it takes them to the shower. But basically, I just go grab some extra corrugated tubing that's like... 15, 10, 15 feet long that I can take and just add onto the uh, ventilator circuit. So you just got a little adapter and put it in line. So I also don't like to do that with people that are on really high peak.
0: Right, um, yeah.
1: So it's patient-dependent as well. but um, And it's also not great for long-term, but, you know, for 15, 20 minutes, it's okay. Um as soon as they come out of the shower, they take all that long tubing off. Yeah. Um, but I've never had an issue with it, so.
0: Um, what do you think that does for patients, or what do, you, what do they look like afterward?
1: Uh, I couldn't imagine not taking a shower for, I mean, some of these people are in here for a month. Mm-hmm. If they're
0: ARDS really
1: sick with ARDS or something like that, yeah. And could you imagine not taking a shower for a month?
0: Oh no, it would drive me crazy. I feel <laughs> like it's, that's like a psychological necessity.
1: Yeah,
0: And if these people, you know, they're awake, they know what's going on, and just when I see them rolling out in the wheelchairs, you know, we walk them to the shower and they roll out, they just have a glow about them. Um, not just a wet shimmer, but they just <laughs> you can tell that they feel better, they feel more like themselves, their morale like is boosted. Yeah, yeah.
1: Instead of a patient.
0: <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. They feel like a person, not just a patient. Um, what does that mean to you to be able to provide that kind of Quality of care and that kind of um, that kind of difference for a patient.
1: Um, it's definitely more fulfilling and rewarding to take care of patients that you feel like you're kind of going the an extra mile for. Whereas if they were just at any old regular hospital, they just say, sorry, we just do shower caps and rags. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, probably wouldn't cut it for me. But when someone's just comatose, there is no option.
1: Right. Then that else. doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Well, what does it mean to you to know that 98% of your surviving patients go straight home? What role do you think you've played in that?
1: Uh, as a bedside care worker, we really at least I don't ever hear of any statistics or anything like that. So whenever we do hear something like that, it's it kind of, uh, what's the word? It makes it feel like you're doing something.
0: Like it's all for something?
1: Yeah, like it kind of comes together in the big picture is what it kind of feels like. So it's, you come to work every day and it just sometimes feels like another day at work. But when you see the big picture and it's like, all this work is paying off and you're seeing great results overall, it kind of drives the picture home that you're making a difference.
0: Yeah, and I think you and all of respiratory therapy makes a huge difference. I think you guys are one of the big heroes here in the ICU. The fact that hardly any of our patients Um, have tracheostomies or go to long-term care facilities um, really comes down to you and physical therapy and the nurses going that extra mile genuinely caring and getting people up and walking right away and throughout their critical illness. So thank you for all that you do, the big difference that you make, and for sharing your expertise and trade secrets with us.
1: (laughs) No problem.
0: Thanks, Cash. Mm -hmm. If you want to join in on the conversation, Leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter.